Hello and welcome to this week is episode. I have my amazing guest. Honestly, you're not going to want to miss this conversation that we're going to be having next. And you are going to be introduced to some pretty amazing talking points. I'm talking about when my guest describes a frame of reference on estrangement as in each person whether you cause the estrangement or someone else calls you estrangement each of you has a frame of reference my guest would also discuss self estrangement following being estranged from your family that you become internally i guess fragmented or estranged from self you don't want to miss that and then my guest also introduced me to a, a concept that really I've never really thought of in that way, which was estrangement is a form of a rebellion, a rebellion against, well, basically rebelling against difficult emotions. You're not going to want to miss this conversation. So stay tuned and I'll let my guest introduce themselves. So hi, Carl. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. And guys, you, you guys are going to like listening to Carl. He is a psychotherapist and he's been doing this for uh, 10 years and he specializes in family estrangement. So Carl, please introduce yourself. Thank you. Okay, well, look, thank you for asking me on number one. And it, it, it's a pleasure to be able to talk about this topic. And then we were talking about earlier on how there's such a stigma around family estrangement. So it's really important what you're doing and, and creating this podcast and putting out information and, and offering more insight into a phenomenon which is huge and uh, you know the latest research suggests that possibly one in four families in the US are affected by family estrangement which is huge but um for me personally so we said my name is Carl um I'm from Dublin in Ireland and I'm a practicing psychotherapist and I, I, I came to specialize in family estrangement purely by accident not by any design of myself and I always remember the first time I sat with a client, it was in 2011, and she came in and she was um, came in because of a workplace bullying issue. But yeah. we started to explore a little bit more depth to the issue, and she seemed to be so defined by her job. And this entire situation was really, really affecting her. And I was curious then about just her family. And I just asked her, you know, can I ask how your relationship with your family is? And she put her head down. Mm-hmm. She says, I didn't come here to talk about my family. Oh. And I knew straight, and this was like, whoa, I knew this was important. Yeah. And that, that, since then, so many people just started presenting to my counseling practice. And they were, majority in the early stages were adults who were estranged from either their parents or their siblings or both. Um, thankfully, later on, more and more parents came in. And it was great because I always knew that there was there's two sides to every story. Yes, there is. Complex than what were the one side that we're getting but it was lovely to hear stories of of really nice and very genuine parents who, who really loved their um, their kids but they couldn't whatever happened in their life and whatever circumstances happened they found themselves estranged and they couldn't understand why yeah. so it was nice to see the different balance with with the adults who are working with who were estranged from their parents their reasoning was quite clear and very often it was because of abusive behaviors maybe it was because of lots of relenting pressure to perform yeah. to take on certain roles to um 
to be a certain way. Yes. There, there's rules around all these these tasks and these and they were they, they had to meet their rigid rules. They weren't flexible. If they didn't fulfill them, they would be punished in some way. And the punishment could be verbal abuse. It could mm. be through silence, um, through passive aggressive communication, through put downs, through criticism, through judgments. And really, there's only so much one human being can take of that. Yes. Okay. It's it is once you you account for maybe someone's having a bad day, someone's stressed out, but when it becomes a recurring pattern over and over and over, it's very traumatizing. It's very hard, and it leaves people with no choice or to feel like they have no choice but to walk away. But having said that, and as as we'll explore more, there's there's so many sides and variations to estrangement. Not every estrangement is as a result of abusive behaviors. Sometimes there's factors which have which are outside of the family. And it's really important to own that and honor it. And I think as someone who puts content out around estrangement, I think one of the challenges I have is, is presenting something that's balanced, that yeah. doesn't alienate another perspective, because I've no interest in doing that. It's not about alienating anybody. It's purely about educating yes. a perspective in such a way where it doesn't, the other perspective doesn't feel blamed or judged either. And through yeah. that, there's an opportunity to learn from each other. Absolutely. And you're right about when you're putting that content, although um, some people, they're the one they walked away and other people, they're dealing with the aftermath after some people walked away from them. So I guess I try to yeah. put up, um, about, I try to put up content that would be reflective of both, although my experience could be that I've experienced both essentially. So I know what it is like to be on either side of the spectrum of these yeah. things. And it's well to do this podcast because that, that ability to maintain balance. But unfortunately, when you go online and you look at the different support groups that are out there, often they're not balanced. They're heavily biased towards just one perspective and then insist yeah. on blaming the other perspective. And I mean, I have my own small Facebook group that I moderate and I set up two years ago and I'm, I'm very, I, I make it very, very clear to them. There's no judgment allowed. I don't split yeah. parents from adult children, adult sons and daughters or anyone is welcome. And it, it's, it's lovely to see respectful discourse where people can say, well, look, this is where I'm coming from, but I appreciate mm. you're there. O- occasionally people will get distressed by content, especially if someone shares something that, I mean, even recently someone posted an article and the, the first line of the article was, if you're estranged from your parents, it's 100% their fault and they have to take responsibility. Yeah. That, that's not a fair statement. No. That's a too, way too simplistic view. And it is a judgment and it actually shuts down. If, it, if I was a parent reading that, I'm like, I'm not going to read any more of this because they're blaming me instead mm. of educating me, instead of actually trying to open to the fact that this is just one person's subjective experience. And I think- them their subjective experience. Maybe they had it. it exactly. And, and, and the reality is that I think sometimes parents do the best that they can with the resources and the knowledge they had at the time. And if a parent acknowledge that, you know what, this is what I did, I'm sure I wasn't meant to hurt you. But if you cannot get over that, um, I think the issue comes, I think is when people, even when the parents have acknowledged the wrongdoing, but the person is is, uh, unable to overcome that. And I also say, sometimes we just have to give people the benefit of the doubt because at the time they did the best that they can. Not to make yeah. excuses, but they did yeah. the best they can at the time with the resources that they had with them. Yeah, and that's true of, of a lot of examples, but it's not true of every example. And mm. I know I had clients who have get, their parents 
have not acknowledged what they've done or if they've yeah. done they have acknowledged it it's very superficial and the only the intent was to draw people back into that unhealthy dynamic so ah yes one thing acknowledging it it's another thing changing it and an acknowledgement without change it can be just as hurtful because it can be perceived as distrustful as just plain lying and I've, I've heard a good few stories of this where people say oh well, yeah look i made a few mistakes and i'm very sorry but that's it then yeah and they just expect the whole dynamic to come back in but sure if the relationship crumbled on the weight of all these expectations the expectations have to change they do the have to change the communication approach but again some people they get so locked into their way of relating and you're right it's all they know they yes. never, never taught any other way and, and again it's not about blame but at some point if the relationship is falling apart they have to everyone has to look at themselves and ask well how am i contributing to this absolutely how, what do i need to do and it might involve going to therapy it might involve at minimum going to your library and, and finding books it might involve googling even just learning about attachment style learning about communications mm. learning about the impact that the history or the, the, the past has on the present and then with that they might be able to use that information to make course corrections but some, everybody has to be prepared to do that and not everybody is no not everybody is okay well thank you so much for that carl and so carl are you able to exp explain exactly from what you've seen what exactly is family estrangement and if you yeah. can summarize um for someone who's listening to this and they're not quite they know they're probably not they're not in contact with some of their family members and they might yeah. not know exactly what it is so are you able to explain what that is okay well to be honest with you it, it's an interesting question because we don't have one singular definition of family estrangement there's there's yeah. multiple working definitions that different therapists would have of, of uh, therapists researchers would have formulated or even tears would create um, yeah. and a lot of that is to frame their work around so I know um, you're probably familiar with standalone their definition which based on their research they call it as the breakdown of a supportive relationship within a family so and that that's a good definition it makes sense but then there's other people who view it as the, the um as an effort to reduce communication within the family and that's different than a breakdown of a supportive relationship yeah. but again the person the people who view it as a breakdown of communication they're communication experts they're researchers who specialize. So that's their frame of reference. Yeah. So that's how they're viewing estrangement. The same as all the other people who have their own views of it. And it's the same for me as well. So I have my yeah. own views of what it is. And fundamentally, estrangement to me is about the conscious effort by one or more people to create distance from other family members. Okay. But yes. the distance sits on a continuum. So on one end, you could have an emotional estrangement and that could mean that let's say you and me are brothers and sisters and we're estranged. We could see each other every day, but part of our teacher, but we're not sharing any kind of personal information. Yes. And intentionally not sharing anything. And, and, you know, we could have an elderly parent and maybe that's the reason why we're seeing each other every day. Maybe through the habit of just going home to visit, mm. we see each other all the time. Maybe we see each other at weddings and at Christmas parties and there could be regular contact, but there's distance between us. Yeah. Or, multitude of reasons and it could be very stressful for us um to be in the same room together but we do it because maybe there's a pressure there's a sense of loyalty and obligation or maybe we, we both just want to see our parents but we have yes. to see each other as a result of that so then you're on the emotional end but then the other extreme is, is a physical estrangement could be where we we have there's no there's distance between us and a geographical distance mm -hmm. so we we never see each other at all one of the most important findings i think within the estrangement research it was this idea of an estrangement continuum but, but viewing it as a process as opposed to an endpoint or a state 
okay? Yeah. So it's a constant process of moving down. Some people, they, they, you know, they see, they might decide, I'm going to see my family this week, but I'm still kind of emotionally estranged. Yes. I'm, I'm seeing them a little bit more, but I'm still putting distance there. And others, something might happen. There might be a crisis in the family. And mm -hmm. they think, well, I don't want to be around these people. So I'm going to move forward more towards the physical end of the estrangement. But fundamentally, about distance, they're not sharing aspects of themselves. Of their lives. Holding, yeah. And, and often for very valid reasons. Yes, definitely. And I think in those situations, I, I, I generally feel there's a lot of mistrust or the things that you say or just mundane little things can be weaponized against Absolutely. you or the other way around. So they no longer feel safe, even yeah. to share the most mundane of things, because in the past, I guess they led to something um or just generally they don't want to rekindle anything so you know sometimes we make bonds with people by sharing stories and information and stuff like that and yeah. i feel like if you don't want to bond with somebody it's another barrier that you put up that no i'm not actually going to share anything with you because somehow whether they might perceive whichever party that me sharing this information with you is somehow dangerous to my mental health and my yeah. well-being yes yeah. And, and it's power dynamics in families as well. If I share something, you're giving them some of you. Yes. And then it's, and you're hope you're trusting them to, to do something nice with that, to check in, are you okay? But they're not, as you said it there, it's weaponized and it's such an unhealthy dynamic that happens yeah. in some families, not all of them. And, um, but it, the problem is that it, it leads to distrust inside of yourself because there's a part of you that yearns to bonds. Again, everybody will form their own working definition about, about what estrangement is. And they're not wrong. It's just relative to their subjective experience. When even, I, I did my master's in 2018 and my dissertation was the experience of family estrangement. Actually define what it was. So when people came in, I was surprised to see that there was people saying, oh yeah, I see my family all the time, but we're restrained. And like, okay, so that was an insight that there was, there's definitely more to it than just simply never speaking to family. But, but you, were, you had said that your view, you view it as a fragmentation or estrangement is when families become fragmented. And you know, the view, the image in my mind is all these bits and bobs that are just, they're not cohesive. They're not together, there's, there's a split. But to go a step further, it isn't even so much that the family or the, the relationships are fragmented, but each individual is fragmented as a result of it as well. So entity becomes fragmented. Their sense of who they are, because it's so enmeshed with the family and the pressures and the expectations and all these traumatic and overly powerfully emotional experiences that make us so dependent on family, we lose that sense of ourselves. Absolutely. And that leads to a self-estrangement where people, are, they're estranged from their own emotions. Yeah. From their own feelings, and even on a somatic level, they're estranged from from who they are because who they are becomes defined by the people around them. Yes, particularly true if there has been very difficult childhood experiences when we are so vulnerable, so dependent, so needy, and our brains are, are so plastic that they're mm. absorbing all of these really negative experiences, and we internalize. And it's very yeah. hard to we don't have the maturity to separate us from them. So we don't have the maturity to know that what's happening, their anger has actually nothing to do with me. Yes. That anger is, 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 is from a different time. It's meant for somebody else who isn't around anymore. And yeah. these people don't have the awareness or the tools or the motivation to, to manage it. So they just, they just project it. It's they too much for them. So I'm going to create an object. I'm going to project that onto the nearest object, which is, it could be a person. Oh, yeah, often if in childhood, it's normally the child who doesn't even have the language for to understand, articulate what it is exactly they're going through. 
They don't know, they, but they're all, it's at a st stage as well where they didn't have language. Yeah. It makes sense of it. And it doesn't make sense. You know, so many people get caught up in the wires of an estrangement. Okay. And especially the parents that I work with who are involuntarily estranged from their, their sons and daughters. Yeah. The why doesn't make, they don't, either they don't have a why, they're, 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 these, they're, their sons and daughters aren't explaining to them why this is happening or the, their logic, their why doesn't make any sense to them. And I, I, people get very, very lost in the why because it seems senseless. It seems like I don't understand how this has happened. How do we get yeah. here? Our relationship seems so fine. And, and often people just, a part of letting go is accepting that there is no why. It's yeah. just a tragic reality because the why, getting, getting caught up in that cognitive space, trying to ruminate, makes sense. Why, why, why? It stops them from tapping into the, the, the loss and the grief that they have to experience. And it, you could be, you may see your family all the time. It doesn't mean you don't grieve. You're yes, grieving absolutely. What, what you wish it was. You're grieving the past when a time when it was close. You're mm -hmm. grieving the fact that um, the image that they had of family is now shattered. Yeah. Now something else. And being able to accept it for what it is means grieving what it was. And this bond, it's so close. You know, family is not a social construct that you just chop and change. Yeah. It's, 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 we're bonded by biology and psychology and very complex bonds of loyalty and experience and nostalgia that it's very difficult to just, this idea of just walking away. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about societal changes and it's something that's very frustrating for some of my clients is this narrative around just walk away. Yeah. You don't need them anymore. You're an independent person. I don't, I don't agree with that because I think it's actually, it, it's counter. I think the wounds of the family become society's wounds. Yeah. Okay. It just, it, it can't help but contaminate and have a negative impact on it. So I'm personally not pro family estrangement. Having said that, I live in the real world. Yeah. And it not happens for very real reasons. And sometimes people simply do not have any choice. That, yeah. that, and even though it seems like they're voluntarily estranged in the sense that they instigated the distance, mm -hmm. they would say that, well, I, I didn't have any choice but to integrate. The only way I could feel safe was to actually pull away. Yeah. You know? But that's one perspective and one, uh, one variation to the experience yeah. of estrangement. It is involved. I remember before we hit the cord, you were talking about how sometimes when one person goes through the journey of healing, but the person they estranged from, they're still stuck where they were 10, 15 years ago, which makes it add another layer of complexity when it comes to reconciliation. Because yeah. you can go in, you've done the inner work, and now you understand both of you perhaps were functioning from the lenses of trauma. You're, you know, maybe it was your adaptive child that was coming through to certain responses. And so now you realize what was at play. Yeah. But the danger is for reconciliation, it takes some time the other person to do the inner work themselves. They have to do something, you know, yeah. and even if they're not even fully responsible, okay, maybe they're not under the abusive ends. Maybe they're just nice people that don't know what they did. They still have to do some work on themselves to understand how it, it came to this. Yeah. And so at least work through some of the grief. And, and often, um, they have their own anger because they have been cut out, okay? And for them, it's very traumatic. That's a, the ultimate rejection. To have a son or daughter cut you out if you've invested so much time and love into your kids. We spoke about, you know, I have a son as well. I'd be devastated if, he, yeah. if I was cut out. I'd be absolutely heartbroken. And I have a, a really good relationship with my own mother. I know she would be devastated if we estranged, you know? So it's a, I, I can understand that there are... Those type of people would be very much hurt by it, and they need to work through the hurt themselves, work through 
the sense of rejection, work through the fact that, you know, the, the, the relationship, it seems to get devalued so quickly. Yes. Rewritten to the point where it's almost like their, their, their role in someone's upbringing has been rewritten and, and to, to match something else that doesn't quite match their experiences. Yeah. So they're leaving the fact that how they, they remember their, their sons and daughters and they remember all these loving memories and the nice things that they did. But this person is, is discussing a different, a completely alien experience, but that's what their experience was. Yes. So it's trying to understand it doesn't make sense, but it hurts. We got to work with the hurt. They have to find a way to, to, to connect with the hurt and, and to grieve and allow themselves to be sad and to be angry and all these natural emotions that yeah. come with being a human being and having possibly the most important attachment in your entire life severed, often by no uh, by no act, nothing that you've done, by no yes. measure of control or action that you've taken yourself. So it is, and it, it's just so complex. And I think it's probably the one thing that anybody within the estranged community will agree is yeah. that it's just there's so many layers to it. There's so many perspectives. And again, trying to honor all these perspectives and not alienating each other, trying to find a way to educate and resource people. Yes. And maybe we can, you know, even these podcasts, it's not about pushing people away it's about bringing people together yeah absolutely and maybe maybe they can reconcile but also maybe not and i my my own view on this is that i think everyone everyone has a right to be happy okay i think everybody has a right to grow as human beings and i think there is a desire inside of us to 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 grow and to to heal and but that gets disrupted and it often if, if if somebody is estranged whether it was voluntary because of the destructive negative dynamics or it was involuntary because somebody cut them out, they still have a right to be happy. Okay? Yes. Now, you're going to ask me about um, Josh's book and how yeah. society is changing and how um, it, our values around family are changing and there's a push towards this individuality and it's, it's really good insight. And I know Josh and he's, 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 a, he's a really very insightful guy. He's doing this work for years. Yeah. And there is a lot of truth to that. Okay, that I think obviously social media has exposed people to different ideas around what it is, what are options for life, and that you know we don't have to tolerate bad behavior. Mm. But sometimes it's very superficial. Okay, sometimes it's just it's um it's not an authentic independence. It's it's actually more a rebellion against feelings of, of codependency, feelings of vulnerability. Do you know I'm what I like we just said that I haven't really heard it in that way. It's like a rebellion. This is actually you just that's a really good point I, I have not heard it in that way as a form of rebellion actually so yeah, yeah thank you and, and, and again these are just observations that I've made but I, it's almost maladaptive okay mm. it's, it's not to me it's not necessarily authentic well, what do I want to do independence to me is about being secure in myself so that others can be as they are yeah okay so I don't have to push an agenda I don't need to tell anybody what to do I don't need them to be any other way other than the way they are. Okay, but to do that, I have to go inwards and I have to deal with the difficult emotions. And it does mean having confrontation with people as well. Sometimes it means I need to speak up. I need to set my boundaries. I need to tell people I'm not happy. But I think there is a narrative I'm seeing online and a lot of the parents that I'm working with are seeing this as well, where just people are just saying, just walk away from it. It's toxic. Yeah. And all these overly reductive labels that don't really grasp the complexities of human psychology and the complexities of relationships and that 
you know, it's, it's not, you shouldn't just walk away. Okay, mm. you have to confront these issues first. If you feel like you have no choice and you've tried so hard, well, then maybe you don't have a choice but to walk away. But to walk away at the first hurdle is a huge problem. Yeah. You know, you're, it, again, it's not, it's, it's, you're saying you're independent. I don't need these people, but really, are you just rebelling against difficult emotions, mm. rebelling against um, a sense of being controlled? And don't get me wrong, we all have a, rebelli a rebellious person inside of us. Yes. But again, sometimes it goes against people's actual needs. Yeah. And because we're all at heart, we're, we're more in interdependent than we are independent. We need each other. We need people. We need validation. We need, we need two people. We all have a, a, a nervous system, and we need each other to regulate each other's nervous system. Yes. You know, that's it. We need each other to, to learn from each other and to feel affection and to grow. But if you feel like you're just as independent, and I don't need anybody, you're depriving yourself of something. Yeah. You know, something that, that's pure and wholesome and human. Yes, so absolutely. And I think this is why a lot of people find it very, very difficult to, when they've gone through estrangement, because the, the, the emotions that arise out of that, mm. it's um, sometimes they don't even know what to do with it. It's just like having a grey elephant in a room and you don't even know what to do with it, right? Mm. Uh, with each day, something different. Because sometimes the reality is when we become estranged from the people, is at some point we love them we love mm. them so much they were held dear to us and mm. i don't think those feelings especially when it comes to siblings estrangement you know mm. you know at some point those feelings didn't just die they didn't no, just no. you know they're still there and sometimes you still deeply care about the person yeah. and um, little things in your environment could remind you of them you might even have children that resemble their aunties and uncles yeah. and you can see that yeah. yeah, and I think that's what added additional complexity right there. Yeah, you said it there, that, and, and it's, it's true. Those reminders are everywhere, and, and particularly if you're someone who is um, estranged from a parent and then you have kids yourself, you have this small little emotional representation of you, and it's, it's just these constant reminders of, 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 of your own heart. It's, it's very hard to not project your own heart, especially on a little child. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a hurtful way, I mean like in a protective way. Mm. you want to protect this person but then you realize well there was actually no one there to protect me and it, it just it unearthed so much pain and hurt and you know estrangement you know I, I, without going into too much detail i am estranged from somebody as well and it's horrible yeah I wish on anybody i wouldn't and even those who want to paint it in a positive light oh my life is so much better i don't have to deal with all the conflict and the stress underpinning all of that is still a tragedy that has happened in the first place it it's is and, and i say estrangement is a form of, is a trauma actually when you yeah. go for estrangement you've gone through trauma yeah and i think once you call it what it is i think you once you begin to realize this is a form of trauma and it's something you might require healing from and i think if you give it a name like oh i'm free from toxic people it gives yeah. it the brain has a very different signal about what to do with that because yeah. then your brain is telling you you're free from toxic now you're fine yeah. Actually, you, you could be bearing some very deep-seated um, emotions that need to be coming up to the surface to deal with. And one more another, those buried emotions of freeing from toxic people have a yeah. way of bubbling up to the surface when you least expect it. Because yeah. some the reality is when you're strange, there's a level of rejection right there. And that alone needs to be dealt with. Yeah. 
but it's again understanding that it's, it's at the level of the nervous system as well. It's not just you know psychology or, or physiology is mm. not separate. Your psychology and your your physiology are, are together. They they yes. work together. They're not mutually exclusive, and they are they influence thoughts and beliefs and memories and and again if. You're right, that sense of rejection is incredibly traumatic and it can send people into this kind of um, apathetic state in a hypo state where they just, mm-hmm. they fall inwards. They yes, fall they do. Themselves. They, be, they, they can't access emotions. They become very withdrawn, very depressed, very sad, and they're stuck in that space. They're somewhere in the other place, in a hyper place, in, in, in the sympathetic place. So you go from sympathetic to parasympathetic and sympathetic, mm-hmm. you're on edge, you're anxious, you're in a yes. hyper state and people fluctuate between the two and so they're up and they're down up and down and the people that are around them can't understand these behavioral expressions of the but it, it this, is, this is their body is responding to to messages that yes. could be the perception of stress and they could be you know, long estranged from the source of the trust but they get caught in two places because their biology yearns for safety so yes, they want to does. connect but then it also knows that it simply isn't safe to connect so it pulls yes. back and they get caught in this dynamic, okay? They're push and pull, push and pull. But then the psychology kicks in. So they're looping all the time, thinking about, ruminating mm. over and over and over. But to overcome it, they have to get out of this space and into this Calm place. Down. So what's one technique you can advise somebody who's in that constant loop um, and up and down, up and down? What's um, the technique that you've given to some of your clients that you work with in terms yeah. of uh, overcoming that particular loop? Okay, so you asked me about the parking family estrangement video that I have. Yes, yes. So I'm going to answer your question, but let me just give some context around the video first. Okay, so when I was doing my research for my master's and I was interviewing people, one common trend that came up was that the estrangement was having a really negative impact on other areas of their life. So, for example, they found that they were very distracted and very distant in their job and they were prone to making mistakes, which they never would have made before. And that was very upsetting for them that this is now contaminating other areas of life. Same with their relationship with their partner. They found that they're very withdrawn. They were very distant or they found that they were talking about it all the time. Mm. They need to talk. But the problem is that it creates a great strain on the relationship for the partner because it just feels like they're, they are in this. They're talking themselves into a bigger loop and yeah. not coming to any kind of um, resolution. They're not coming to an answer. They're just stuck in this place. So the idea of parking was containment. How can yeah. we at least contain the, the, the really negative effect that this is happening on whether it's their psychology, whether it's their relationships or whether it's their social life? So one way that I get it to do it, I mean, first of all, the ruminating is a defense mechanism. Okay, mm-hmm. and it, it, The brain's natural response to try to avoid feeling stuff that is just too overwhelming to feel. Yes. So you're trying to fight it. But, but you're not finding it doesn't necessarily help because you're battling a, a, a natural response. You're battling something that is that serves a purpose. So what I often get my clients to do is to agree to pick a window, maybe 20 minutes every evening and decide well, that's my window where I'm going to allow myself to think about this situation, maybe even yes. 30 minutes, preferably with a journal and preferably with someone there as well. Um, or maybe they might have two windows. So they have one 30 minute window where they go on their own and they go into a quiet room and they journal and just reflect how they're feeling today, what's on their mind, what's what's really distressed and what memory, what fear do they have today? And mm-hmm. the idea is that if they're in work and they find they're thinking about it, they can at least say to themselves, look, I'm not not thinking about it. I'm yeah. just going to wait until seven o'clock this evening. Yeah. You know? 
and it just puts a bit of structure to their day it mm. gives them something to focus on because they then they know it's easier to it, it's like anything you've asked someone to not think about something of course they're going to keep thinking they're going to think about it absolutely so, well, let's not let's work with that don't battle that i wouldn't take away if, if ruminating is it feels like they're protecting themselves even though it's, it's maladaptive but you can't just rip rip the the, 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 the away from them it's not fair like you're making them feel vulnerable so like well okay well you're going to think about it so just prioritize it put it aside that time there and then and then think about it within that window the second thing then is to sit with your partner and again agree that we're only talking about it for 15 minutes and then we're going to put on netflix and watch below deck and whatever else something like something silly something to distract you exactly you know it doesn't have to be sick but they have to have that space they need that validation they need to know that they're heard. They need to know that someone understands them. Yeah. Now, I can tell you now, there's so many challenges to estrangement. But the biggest one that I'm working with at the moment is that my clients' partners are really struggling to contextualize why they're estranged. Yeah. They don't get full history because there's so much history there. They don't get yes, it. They really, really struggle to know how to effectively help. They're not, they're not helping in the way that they need them to help. So sometimes they're minimizing, sometimes they're playing stuff down, sometimes they're getting frustrating. And some actually really want to help, but they just, they're not really sure. They don't sure. know how to. They don't have the resources or the training. So I'm, I've, I've spent months with a lot of my clients, not even dealing with the family stuff, dealing mm-hmm. with how can they get their partner on board. To and, understand, um, yeah. It's tough. It's very tough, especially if the partner has their own independent relationship with estranged family members. Because yes that, yeah, exactly. and i mean i'm working with a lady at the moment and her she's estranged from both her parents but the husband knows has had a, his own relationship with her mother and the mother's quite elderly and my client's at a place where she just needs space from her mom to work mm-hmm. through a lot of the stuff but her husband's like well sure she's an elderly woman and you need to look after her and you can't just leave her on her own and he doesn't guess and she's saying to try and explain to him but all these really horrible things happened when yeah. i was young and he's like, oh, but sure, that's in the past. Mm, minimizing, yeah. 20 years ago, so he's minimizing. Um, he's not, he's, he's causing her more distress and he's causing more friction in the relationship. Now, she's being very firm. Part of the problem, again, is all these legacy issues with family, especially around boundaries. And, you know, you hear this, again, you need to work on your boundaries. Like, you know what a boundary is. Like, you've experienced what a boundary is. If you don't know what it is, you will How have can no you implement problem. it? exactly so people have to be taught what boundaries are and understand taught that there's a risk there would be a huge risk for them setting a boundary because they're going counter that their biology is saying to them it ain't safe to say no exactly so they have to challenge their biology they have to find ways of you know using their biology to feel safe through breathing mm-hmm. through exercise through yoga through just connecting with these the physical sensations okay and then then they have to start taking big risks by putting themselves first and she's been doing it. And in fairness, she's, she's, she's doing well now. She's, you know, she's still dealing with all the childhood stuff. But a relationship with her, he's, 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 he's getting it. He's but getting he's, it slightly. Oh. And I think that's it sometimes. Other people, and I guess that can also reflect the wider society. Yeah. Um, I know with my own experience of estrangement, sometimes if I bump into somebody who I haven't seen in like seven years, and they'll say, oh, how is this? Yeah. I'm like, they're fine. My automatic response is always fine. Because sometimes you just don't want to get into it. Because no. then you're going to have to explain. And explaining sometimes is quite emotionally taxing, as it is. Of it is. And yeah, of course, especially... people interject, but, 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 why, what have you looked at it like this? And sometimes it's, 
you just don't want to go there because it's um sometimes you don't want to relive trauma number one and sometimes you just don't have the energy to explain especially when you when you're going against the normal narrative of happy family i find yes no you're right and again it's a very common scenario for my clients if someone asks them how is your your brother or your sister or your mother or your father and it's quite regressive because excuse me it's an intrusion of of a boundary which you have probably spent years trying to create you've tried to create distance and even on an emotional level and then all of a sudden someone just just like that someone asks they don't realize they're crossing a boundary they don't realize anything and it's not really for them to know but unfortunately, it puts you in, in a difficult position where your own defenses kick in. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, well, what do I say? And again, part of the work I do is actually prepping clients for these type of scenarios. Why, mm-hmm. why be a victim to the when? So actually, well, you know, what, what actually role play what you might say. You know, even if it's a case of it might not be a scenario like that. It could be I have to go to a wedding and I know my estranged family are going to be there. So we, we take the time to build in a plan on how they're going to manage that day. Mm, absolutely. You know, pre and post stabilization so how do they make sure they can regulate their body and their nervous system on the build-up you know because it could be stressful for months leading up to that date and then the, yes. the post visit the adrenal dump because your body is in that place and then the event has passed yes and it's the adrenal dump but it's also the, the fears around what might happen next and maybe exactly. nothing will happen next maybe everything will be fine but it's been able to deal with the aftermath of that visit and, it, you know, even if you're carrying trauma and all you do is get a, something as simple as a dirty look from someone. Oh, okay? gosh. That's, that's it. it. Yeah. That's, that's it. Your, your safety is gone. Trigger. You know, and we communicate through the eyes and we relay so much. And someone can give you a dirty, a, a, an aggressive look. Mm. A, a remark. That's a very subtle, passive aggressive remark. The brain knows this, this is, that was meant for me. Yes. And the act of defense. The because remember, you're already hypersensitive as it is. Exactly. You're yeah. primed as it is. So this is just this is just reaffirming what the brain already knew. Exactly. I told you it's not safe. So don't be safe again. Exactly. And that's for me. um, It's so good that you said that in terms of prepping clients for future events, because Mm -hmm. one of the things that I do is um, visualize potential events. And but so if this has to happen, I realize once my mind has accepted something, even yeah. if he hasn't to come. So I can, if I can preemptive that this meeting might go like this, or if I meet this particular person, I can rehearse in my mind because if I know this particular person triggers certain anxiety within me, mm-hmm. I can preemptively. Um, and, you know, like when you visualize, I believe in the power of visualization mm-hmm. in terms of um, moving forward. So sometimes if I prep my mind already in advance, I tend to find I deal with these situations a lot better. Uh, sometimes it turns out to be much better than I would have expected yeah. but the fact I've already told my mind this is my goal like this and this might if if this is this person's response I'm going to respond in such a way but and I know if I respond in that way it's not going to nothing good is going to come out of it anyways so yeah. what what is a positive response to this how can I just breathe and walk away in those kind of circumstances yeah. so if I for example, I get a phone call from an extended family member because they've been hearing rumors and stuff. What What's going to be my response? Um, before I was trying to defend, now I'm like, you know what, I, that's the truth and and thank you for sharing. I, I don't go beyond that, right? Yeah. 
and this is something I rehearse over and over and over so it's not longer when I get this cause this trigger and sometimes I would explain to somebody look I know you mean well but um, I really don't want to hear if that's okay thank you and it's just to putting in that way because I realize actually if I do it in advance by the time it does come to the surface it's already dealt with in my mind and I can easily just breathe it away yeah you're training yourself it's like preparing yourself for a, a boxing match Okay, you're, you're in training all the time and you're auditioning all these different scenarios. Again, a boxer is shadow boxing. They're imagining all these punches coming at them. Okay, yes, that's true. It's the same thing. We're shadow boxing only family and relationships. And it, it's good. You, you found a really good, reasonable way to engage with people that doesn't, doesn't offend, that doesn't, but at the same time, you're being very clear on your boundaries. Absolutely. It, Absolutely. That, they're, they're the boundaries. That's it. And, that, and I don't want to talk about it. And I think part of that is also valuing the story valuing you know that that if you decide to talk about it this is privileged information i'm giving you here okay i'm like this isn't you need to honor this like this is people feel a great deal of shame talking about estrangement i'm mm. trying to shift that away from this is something very tragic that you probably didn't choose and if you're telling someone it's very privileged information and they need to value it that the fact that they're being told you know not everyone Absolutely. feels it in the same way but it, it's a subtle shift and it, it, it helps people to value themselves a little bit more and understand that there's nothing wrong with them, number one, and there's nothing wrong with sharing it. And if they're, if they're sharing it, it's because they took a leap of faith. And if, if you can't respect that, then then there's a bigger problem with you. Definitely. Oh, thank you for that. The, the reflection bit, it is a double-edged sword because it, it can't in itself be very stressful as well. Because you could be re-traumatizing yourself by going ahead and actually imagining our worst case scenarios. So it does take, it It needs a bit of balance. It has to be solution focused. Okay. Yes. And it has, and if it becomes too overwhelming for people, well then stop because then it's not the purpose. Mm. Okay. If you're, if you're, and, and this is why when it comes to healing, it's not one glove fits all, if you know what I mean. It's like, it's yeah. a different, uh, to some people, I think the relationship uh, became so toxic to the point that it's, um, it will probably be dangerous for them to be in the same room with some people, especially yeah. when it's the fit, when things can get out of hand to the physical, physical realm. Absolutely. And that's not, that's, that's very real. Yeah. This is one of the problems with emotional abuse, that it's quite subjective and it's very difficult to, to, to actually verbalize. It could be minimized. You know, you could say, oh yeah, I walked into the room the other day and my sister ignored me. And you could argue, is that emotional abuse or does she just not hear you? Mm. you know the intent you know that she ignored you when yes. you explain that to someone they could say well no, they probably just didn't hear you or maybe they were distracted so the intent gets lost when you're explaining when someone hits you they hit you exactly there's no, there's no denying they shouldn't have hit you or any other kind of physical abuse but with emotional it's very subtle very difficult to defend it is very difficult to name mm-hmm. and it's very difficult for people to, to, to empathize with because they're like ah that doesn't seem that bad it's and, ambiguity isn't it ambiguous very ambiguous and that's why passive aggressive communication is designed to be that way it's like a sucker punch it's coming from outside your radius coming you know and so it's like whoa and even if you have past experience it still seems to blindside us because of the threat yes and what i do with my clients another thing i've started doing lately is because when someone is in any way aggressive towards you but in this case passive those defenses kick in those animal defenses fight flight freeze fawn they're there oh, yes so that biology is so overwhelming that people find that they don't know how to respond so we sometimes we put in really simple things that they might you know 
re responses. So for example, the expression, that's not very nice. Let's say someone made a passive aggressive remark to you, or, to you and yeah. you find it so freezing. But, but if you're able to access the phrase, well, that's not very nice. It, you're, you're still verbalizing how you feel. Mm -hmm. You're countering to it. It's not really overly threatful, but it's a very simple remark to say. Okay, so people can access th that language, that, that sentence. That's yes. not nice to say, or that's not nice. And it's just simple things that people can actually respond to, even though their animal defenses take off, they can still mm -hmm. find that they can come out with something which is appropriate to that situation. And, and then their family will respond and say, well, I don't know what you mean, that's very nice and blah, blah. But it kind of puts it back to them. Yes. When you're in your defenses, you can't respond. And they, they feel empowered. Okay, they're like, oh, I, I said something and look, it's affected them. If you can get something out that's appropriate, that's mm -hmm. very simple, it puts it back to them. It does, it really does. Oh, well, thank you for that. So um, you pretty much answered the question I was, I was gonna ask you in terms of park, seven ways to park estrangement. I think you got to number five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you had a whole seven list of how to park, um, yeah, how to park estrangement. So what's the num your list of number uh, six and seven? Oh, 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 for estrangement. Uh, seven oh, ways to park it. Oh yeah. So the other ones was um, see, there's, a, there's a, okay. Support is a critical one. I've said that. Okay, you need to you, you have to you have to understand that you need to work on your support. Don't just yeah. be pissed off that they're not supporting you in the way that you want. You have to train them. Yes. You do the, the, the next number six. I think is to do with prioritizing energy. Okay, or mm. energy towards something. So there's a lot of trapped emotion with a stranger because it can't be expressed towards the people that it's meant for so people become very stuck and it's again it's, it's inside of them and so it's finding ways to prioritize their life and put that energy towards something other than family you're yes. doing it you're creating this podcast i've built an entire career as a therapist around that energy i've, I've gone back to college because that's me putting energy that i harbor that's hurtful energy into something that's productive some people write books. Some people start support groups online. Yes. Some people, I mean, a lot of my clients, they, um, some are, are writers, some are artists, some are musicians. And I'm like, are you, are you painting? Well, you know, I haven't painted in a few years. Get painting now. Get painting, so, exactly. It's an outlet. I'm a writer. I haven't written. Go, finish this now and go and start writing. Mm. Okay, put it towards something. Go to the gym, exercise. If you want to be healthy, put it towards that. Put yeah. it towards... If you feel something that's hurtful and you see your own two kids there to say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to put extra attention into my own kids. Exactly. It's all very personal. Okay. It's yeah. all very, very personal, but it, it, it has to be put somewhere. Just get stuck. Yes. You know? I say it's turning pain into purpose. Yeah. That's it. Another one told me turning a mess into a message. Say that again. Sorry. Ch turning a mess into a message. Oh yes, turning a mess into a mess. That's true. It is true. I haven't and, heard that one recently. <laughs> yeah, and I think for me, it's all right. I do speak about it. I am writing about it. I'm creating content about it. Um, I'm going to do a course about it. And for me, I figured, well, I'm not the only person to go through this. And mm. you know, there's a different modalities that people can use in order to recover. Sometimes some people go through therapy. Some people is ex uh, artistic expression. Um, either way, people need to find a way to deal with these things, because my core, my fundamental belief is that when we come into this life, we're meant to thrive. We're not here to suffer until the day that we die. Yeah. And whatever that thriving can look like for somebody is, is if I could help somebody get there, 
um, is to step in the right, the right direction. And also when you go let people walking around um, who are not so traumatized, it makes the world a better place. Mm, absolutely. And you just hope that you're just planting seeds, but, but roses, not weeds. Yes. Okay? Constantly planting seeds. Some people do plant weeds and you know those weeds are going to grow in other gardens and we don't want that. Yes. We're trying to just have in some way, even in our own circle, in our own closed circle, if we can have a positive impact there, that's something. That is it, something, yes. I mean, the biggest, some people get very big in their goals and they want to change the world. Just work on yourself first. You know, Absolutely. On, on reducing the negative impact of your own history on your present life and the people who are part of your circle now. That's enough, okay? Mm -hmm. If you can do that and, and you feel like you're doing that well, then you expand and you might bring more people into that circle or you might step out of your circle into other people's circles exactly. and have some kind of a positive effect. But it always, you have to bring a home force. Definitely, definitely. People, have a work on yourself. Yeah. Absolutely, because I think when you work on ourselves, we end up helping the immediate people around us. And if it's young children, you are potentially breaking generational cycles or... Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know, maybe dysfunctional behaviors. Which, um, communication alone. If you can I mean, just that, yes, just alone being able to say, come, come over and tell me how you're feeling. Yes. That alone could be the most powerful thing you ever do. Exactly. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. yeah, thank you for sharing that, actually. Uh, it's one of those things that, um, you know, when I asked much, how was your day at school today? How are you feeling? I said, oh, mom, leave me alone. But yeah. I think they, they just, oh, I'll tell you about it another day. Yeah. And, uh, but I think is they hear us so often to the point, oh, it's just mom just querying about my day and my friends. But mm -hmm. I think there are people out there that don't really get that. How are you? Yeah. How was your day? Tell me how you feel. And yeah. well, um, their kids will benefit from that as well. Definitely. Children. Okay. And I tell, you, I tell you, that will, that will, where you see that day, where you see how having grandchildren affects you. Yeah. Because you're now you're really, you're seeing another generation affected by what you have done, consciously done. Mm -hmm. you see that that's going yeah. to be powerful and that would hit you like oh wow i think yeah. i created that now look what that's creating yeah so definitely <laughs> well thank yeah. you for that so next question uh i want to ask was i've noticed in many cases of family estrangement there's usually a level of dysfunctional family dynamics at play are you able to elaborate on dysfunctional family roles that we take on without even realizing and also on things like family drama triangle and stuff like that yeah yeah, so um, I mean, we're, we're, when we're in family, when you're enmeshed, okay, you're not you're not reflecting on anything. You're just existing and you're just surviving, mm -hmm. and you survive as best you can. And the more the more pressures and the more powerful emotions and the more dysfunction that exists, the more you need to survive. But everyone survives differently, and that's dependent on many factors, including you know the order of the family, where you fit in. Um, the, the status of the family at the time like if somebody is sick you know a parent maybe then someone has to take on a certain role but because they're the older sibling or even the youngest sibling could take on responsibility um, some people may be the bearer of responsibility more than others and, and yeah. not even consciously someone just decided arbitrarily that this person seems to be the more mature one or the one that has it together so we'll give them responsibility so the pressure is placed on them so there's, there's a whole range of, of reasons that, that are, they're not always particularly clear, but people survive as best they can. So, so some of the roles you see, I mean, a really common one is a peacekeeper. Mm. Peacekeeper is possibly the person who is the most anxious within the family, but yeah. they also might have the highest level of empathy. So they're the warriors. They're like, they need everyone to be okay. Mm. And if somebody 
something genuinely isn't okay, they do whatever they can to make it okay. And to fix it. They sacrifice themselves. They'll sacrifice their own mental health and everything else to, to try and maintain some facade of safety and peace. And, and everybody else will let them do that. That's fine. That, 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 that now becomes their job. And that's, they're not even aware of why they're doing it. Mm. It can be informed even by deep-rooted attachment issues. I mean, I'm always interested by sibling order and how the attachment with parents is different and, and, oh, and what yes. was reasoning behind it. And, you know, it could be as simple as the, the, par- the, the pregnancy could have been different for one child over another. It could be um, the parent was sick after being pregnant, so they weren't as attuned to one child over another. Mm-hmm. But it could be gender. They could be, you know, four boys and one girl and the mother doesn't get on with the girl and gets on with the boys. You know, yeah. I'm working blind at the moment, and that's one dynamic. So, you know, it, it, but all of a sudden, to survive this situation and all these people and all these voices and strong personalities, I'll do what I can. And the peacekeeper could be one. Now, another people, mm-hmm. they, they respond in a very aggressive way to the control and to the pressure. So they might become the rebel. But yeah. The problem is that they're rebelling everything. Any, you know, even in adult life, any, any kind of authoritative figure, they're like, well, any boss or any senior person, they're, they're constantly in conflict. They're constantly fighting with people. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really maladaptive because there's no need for half the time. Like you, there needs to be teamwork in any environment. And we all, yeah. depending on the work environment, there's going to be a boss. You need to be able to work with your boss. You need to be able to work with your wife, your husband. You need to yes. be able to work with people. But if you're, if you're threatened by, by anyone trying to exert any kind of control or authority. Probably, yes. Yeah, exactly. Another role is the um, the arbiter, and an arbiter is someone who tends mm-hmm. to live screen to screen, book to book, newspaper to newspaper. And I see this sometimes in families where they tend to live on the outskirts of the dynamic of the family dynamic. Oh. So they're doing whatever they can to stay out of the drama yeah. and not get involved. Um, and I've seen this sometimes with parents where it could be a husband or often a wife where they'll, they'll go into another room and watch a football match when there's a fight instead of actually stepping in. Yes. Say, no, you need to do something here. This you they need to parenthood is about leadership, okay? And yes. it's about demonstrating leadership, but not everybody has it in them to be a leader. Yeah. So they, they they they're running away from this type of conflict. Um, another role could be the comedian, and this is someone that makes light of everything, okay? They're, mm. they're, they're trying to bring humor to diffuse it. And there's nothing wrong with humor. Humor is great, really important part of life, but when they're avoiding the reality that this is not funny, what's going on. Mm. This is actually quite hurtful. And we need someone to step up and you just keep cracking jokes or minimizing it. Well, then it, again, it becomes a problem. Another one is the, the black sheep. Oh, yes. A really common role. And scapegoating is a process. Mm. The black sheep is effectively the person who doesn't follow the group compass. Absolutely. You know? and, and, and sometimes there's valid reasons in the sense that if you're like breaking the law, okay, if you're doing something illegal then you become the black sheep that's fair enough yeah but if you're not if, if you're just not taking responsibility for things that are not your responsibility and all of a sudden you're being scapegoated that's something else or if you um you don't meet the family image like mm. let's say you know you, you, people are uncomfortable with your sexuality or yes. they're uncomfortable with your life choices then all of a sudden you're a scapegoat but like yes. but it, 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 that's just one family real rule the rules within that family another family they're completely okay with it they don't get what the issue is mm. so you might scapegoat there so um or you become the black sheep and it, it, it's a difficult one and that's quite a common one for my clients i find that they tend to transition from the peacekeeper until 
people have gone too far on their expectations. Yes. So uh, they're like, well, I'm not doing it anymore. And then all of a sudden they're, they're, they become- They get self-quoted, yes. Yeah. And it's interesting, you mentioned triangulation there. And often the way triangulation works is when there's pressure between two people, but it's too much. So they direct that pressure at a third party. Another person. The, the black sheep. So again, that we could be siblings, older siblings, and we're not getting on because of personality differences. But the distress of us being around each other is too much. Mm. So we, we we have a let's say we have a younger sister or brother. We make them the problem. We make we take we oh look at them and oh they're being silly and they're being stupid and they're acting they're acting a certain way. And that's mm. us taking our anger, our emotion out on them. So it's comfortable for us to be together, to be mm. in the same room together. And that happens with marriages. It happens between siblings. It happens between anyone, really. Triangulation is a very kind of happen. There could be multiple triangles within one family. Multiple oh, yeah, triangles. absolutely. You know, I think and, and the other triangle I'm very familiar with is the one with the, where you've got the, the victim, the rescue, and the prosecutor as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's very, very common um, in these kind of scenarios as well yeah. within families. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, it's very hard to shake a role then. People become a peacekeeper outside of the house, you know, but again, to, to be able to alter all that and to become an actual individual, mm-hmm. not, not a fake individual or a person that's still within their role, but just choosing a different role. Yeah. An, an authentic person that has a sense of who they are, what they need and how they want, how they feel like they want to respond, not what everyone else is telling them how they should respond. Absolutely. Tap, 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 tap into feelings tap into their physiology, tap into all these really difficult emotions and feel supported while they're doing it, feel validated what, and, and to be seen for who they are mm-hmm. while they're feeling all these difficult emotions. That's where the healing is, okay? And it doesn't have to be with a therapist. It could be with the right person who isn't blinded by a bias and is not have their own negative history so they can sit with somebody else's obsessed and their distress and their anger and their guilt and their shame and all the self-hatred that they may have absorbed being around this really um, unhealthy dynamic. Absolutely. Just to away from it, you know? But it, it's a process. Mm-hmm. It doesn't end, okay? You'll be doing it until your last days on earth because that's human. That's what it is. You have to keep it is, It's. I think it's whenever we're involved with human relations, um, especially for... I, I think I'm quite aware of the family roles that are taking place and... Obviously, when like yourself, you can observe your children. Um, I tend to be mindful of my behavior, especially now. I still mm. fall short from time to time. I'm a human being. And when you're working, yeah. your mother, your entrepreneur, some things get on top of you. And sometimes our behavior could be a little less than what's expected of us. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's this idea that I can apologize. I can say, you know what? I'm really sorry. That was not cool. Yeah. And I can yeah. also, if I, if I see one of my son is doing something i'll be like actually you don't need to do that you know what you're creating is not this and my husband is more or less the same as well we could be quite reflective after the moment has passed and we're not scared to um own up our shortcomings i think we just realize that these are the kind of things later that our kids can reflect back on and be like you know our parents were like this but i remember my dad apologizing i remember my mom owning up and say i'm really sorry i shouldn't have done this and or even when we did something wrong, they were hard on us, but they, they still told, they love us just as much. And I think it's really important when we're angry with people, for example, even just to say, you know what, I hate what you've done, but I love you to the death, you know? And this is something I'm very mindful, especially with my teenagers when yeah. they drive you bonkers. 
Well, they're, they're, again, the, the teenage life is, from a developmental perspective, is a huge challenge because it's all about peer relationships. Yes. Everything. Your role in their life has been minimized and it's all about, and it's about, you know, trying to establish who they are and they're, they're testing behaviors. They're testing b- beliefs oh, yes. and values. Yeah, you know, but they're they're trying to they're testing it for themselves as much as testing your boundaries. Yes, they're trying to get it, and it, it's a difficult period to, to traverse. And, and hopefully, if they do traverse, then they can move towards early adulthood in, in, a, yes. in a more successful way. If some people have a difficult teenage life, they remain there. In the same way, some people have difficult childhoods, they remain they there. Remain there. Past that developmental stage because there everyone has to have challenges, but the challenges are too much for their age. Yeah. And this is why I think earlier I mentioned about the adaptive child coming through when we're responding to normal common day stresses. But really and truly is the the things that we have to do to survive certain things in childhood. Now they're interplaying adult, which which is not serving us any purpose. But again, it's having that awareness to know that and and to know that there's other ways. Yes. Not everybody is open to that. So it's brilliant that you're doing it. That's Kyle. If my listeners want to find you, where can they find you and your work and uh, your groups, etc.? Sure, okay. Well, look, carlmelvin.com, Carl with a K, and they'll, they'll find me there. And there's a link to everything else, really, from the webpage. Yeah. So if they want to connect on LinkedIn, please do. If they want to, I do have a, a small Facebook group for people who are estranged, and there's a link on the, the website there as well. Yeah. And it's a closed group. It's as secure as I can make it. Yeah. Um, so it, which means that people can't see into it they have to join it to actually see in see into it so it's and, quite private it's, yes you know my thing is very much privacy um yes. and safety you know within that group i don't allow judgment i don't allow people to share um text messages or pictures or anything like that because these are all breaches of confidentiality mm. you know even if you, you might like your estranged family members doesn't mean you can put their pictures up or their anything like that so yeah. it, it, I'm trying my best to make as a, a safe and a secure place for everybody, yeah. parents and siblings and sons and daughters and anyone else, grandparents, anyone who was affected by it, they can go in, they can share their situation if they feel comfortable. Some people don't. Some people are happy just to hear other people's stories and give it a like and even just offer a little bit of support and they might share, look, that sounds like my experience. And, and it's beautiful. It's lovely to watch. I'm very happy with the group. They're they're. Yeah. I say 99.9% very respectful to each other. Occasionally, somebody is going to be triggered. That's human nature. Yeah, we, we, we don't, we don't remove people. I've actually only ever had to remove one person in two years. and Because I think if, if, if someone is, has a bad reaction, we, we discuss it. We're not going to yeah. turn our back on people because they feel bad because someone has said something which has offended them or hurt them. We, we acknowledge it. We, this has hurt you. I get that. Being critical or being judgmental isn't the right way to respond. Absolutely. We always acknowledge that people's heart is very valid. Absolutely. So, so Caramel. Do you have any books that you can recommend? Any resources? Yeah, I mean, there's there's some great stuff out there. Um, Fault Lines is one I'm reading at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's written by Carl Pil- I think it's Pilmer is his name. He's a social scientist in America, so he's done some really good research on family estrangement. Um, there's a lady called Kylie Aglias. She's a researcher. Um, mm-hmm based in Australia she actually I think she comes from a social work background as well but she wrote mm-hmm. family estrangement a matter of perspective um oh. she's brilliant. it's a really good book but even if I was honest with you I'd probably gravitate people towards the trauma stuff so the body yeah. team score is really good the work of Peter Levine 
the mm-hmm. work of Pat Ogden. I mean, I'm, I'm a student of sensory motor psychotherapy, which is a, a model for helping people in, integrate traumatic experiences. And it's really powerful. So Janine Fisher, and yeah. these are all really great authors and they really give great insight into trauma and its effect on the nervous system. And it explains why people may find that they're overreacting or maybe yes. underreacting to stimuli around them. And it's been able to find helpful ways to actually work through that. Stephen Porgy is a polyvagal theory. Yeah. Find his work on that really good stuff, great insight into um, the somatic process of recovering from trauma. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys can hear that and you can Google these books and get them to help you. I believe sharing is caring. So thank you. And, and um, readers. <laughs> sorry? Readers are leaders as well. That is true. That is very true. I, I guess to some degree, I am sitting here and talking about family estrangement in such a way because I've read so much and I've and you know certain books has helped to the journey of recovery if that makes sense and certain practices so certainly if you can do this for me there's something that can do something for somebody certainly out there all inside little snippets of wisdom snippets they all contribute towards the overall body of information that you have and you use that you turn that into wisdom absolutely well Carl, thank you thank you ever so much i'm going to put all your description below um the podcast so people hopefully be clicking on them etc but thank you again and and great uh, work with the podcast and and best of luck i hope you keep going with him indeed i will certainly keep going after all when we share our experiences it can help people feel just a little less alone Now, did you guys enjoy that episode? Don't you just love the wisdom that Carl shared? Honestly, he's been doing family estrangement therapy for 10 years. So you can honestly say he's covered either spectrum, where there's parental estrangement, children estrangement, sibling estrangement, the whole lot. And he really knows what he's talking about. Again, there's some of the great wisdom that he shared throughout the podcast episode. And I hope you guys have taken away something from there. And thank you so much for listening if you got this far. I understand this episode is slightly longer than my usual, but I hope you took away something. Anyways, I'm gonna, uh, I hope you guys go and check out Carl. He has a private Facebook page. He has a website. And yeah, just reach out, you know. It's, um, you don't have to be out there suffering completely by yourself when it comes to family estrangement. And uh, there certainly is groups out there that you can join. And as Carl said earlier, he really does facilitate neutrality in discussions. He doesn't want the blame. And I guess even that, it gets the person to think before they post. Anyway, that is all, guys. And thank you so much for listening for this week's episode. Ah, I'll catch you guys next week. Bye.